Colossians chapter 1, looking at Colossians 1, 19 through 23 this evening. Last time I was in this pulpit, um, I was a seminary student, <laughs> and I was preaching a sermon. It was out of Daniel. For some reason, I don't know if it was about Daniel. And this, some of the people are probably still in here. I'm sure you remember that sermon. And, but just like I was thinking about just how dear the people were to me here, um, Knox Chamlin was my favorite professor. Some of y'all remember Knox. He preached my ordination service. He was one of the people that kept me at, he kept me at, in seminary. I was going to quit seminary. Knox kept me in seminary. And I was going to give up ministry and Knox sort of kept me in it. So I'm very thankful for Trinity. I'm very thankful for the legacy of Redeemer. I wish we could have been a part of that too, but... Glad to be with y'all tonight. Colossians 1, verse 19 to 23. For in him, that is in Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word and to preach the gospel. And so I ask that you would allow me to just rest in the very words I'm preaching, the very Jesus that I proclaim, that, they, that these people, that we would see Christ crucified for us, and that these, this church and these missionaries, that we would all be encouraged in our, in our spirits with how much you love us. That's what we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being everything we need. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So when I do, um, when I've done things like this, and, and like Albert said, I was, a, I was a senior pastor, so we had uh, missions conferences and things like that. When I did conferences, or when I preached conference, missions conference, I really want to simplify it and get really down to the real core, the basic of what missions is all about. I need that kind of clarity. It's about the love of God, period. That's it. If you want to boil it all down, it is about the love of God. Everything flows from the love of God. Excellent book called Delighting in the Trinity by by a man named Michael Reeves. And he says this. God is is and has always been a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit. 
And everything that God has ever done or will ever be has always been a father loving his son through the Spirit. The essence of God is a loving father. The truest thing you can say about God is that he is love. And all of his attributes are a manifestation of that love. Because that's who he is, a father loving his son through the Spirit. He goes on to say that there's actually also, there's not another God behind Jesus that's not exactly like Jesus. For a lot of my life, I, I thought that there was Jesus, I kind of liked him, he seemed like a hippie growing up, like, hey, he's a nice guy, he wore sandals, he seemed like he was pretty nice, but like, I don't know about the guy up on the mountain, with, the, with I don't know about him, he's scary to me. You know, there's this Zeus-like lightning God behind everything, and realize that that's thoroughly unchristian. There is not another God behind Jesus that's not exactly like Jesus. The God is love. And now what is the most loving thing that God can do? The Bible tells us over and over again, especially Jesus' best friend, John. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And so, if God is love, and the essence of God is love. And there's not another God behind Jesus that's not exactly like Jesus. If God has always been a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit. And if the most loving thing is substitutionary sacrificial death. Then God wanted to die for his beloved. Jesus says it. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love is sacrificial love. And so what else could a God like this do? That's what missions is all about. Love on fire. So we come to this passage tonight. This beautiful, concise statement about the most loving act, the death of Jesus Christ. We'll look at two things. Love pursues us while we are aliens. It pursues us as we're aliens, and then it reconciles us. So love pursues us, and it reconciles us. It pursues us as aliens, and then it reconciles us to himself. And God, folks, this is the heart of God. And I think this is what a mission conference should be, and this is what we should always be focusing back on the gospel that the gospel itself is not even an end in itself. A God, the gospel is a way back to the heart of the Father. It's all about God's love for us. So alienation. We were, God pursued us in our alienation. So this is what he says. We were alienated and God reconciled us. What does it mean we were alienated? We were alienated because of evil. It's a really big statement. Especially since I'm an RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt. That is the most passe, ridiculous, uncool, 
unsophisticated thing. To say that human beings are evil and that we do evil things is thoroughly ridiculous. But I say it every single Wednesday night. There's a cosmic problem. It is not just explained away as victimization. It's not just explained away as psychological, even though it's all of those things. It is physical, it is psychological, it is emotional, it's relational in all of its aspects. It's all of those things. But there is a cosmic problem. Things fall apart. As Tim Keller said, as soon as we determine to serve ourselves instead of God, as soon as we abandon living for and enjoying God as our highest good, the entire created creation became broken. Human beings are so integral to the fabric of the, the way things are that when human beings turn from God, the entire warp and woof, the, the very fabric of the world unraveled. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, death. It all is a result of sin. Oppression, war, crime, violence. Students that want to jump off a parking deck. Students that smoke meth. Students that can't stop obsessing over their grades. People that can't, people that can't keep going another day, marriages falling apart. Physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically, culturally, we fall apart. Now here's the point. We hear things like that in sermons, but like, how has that gotten into you? Like, how has the fallenness and the alienation gotten into your blood? Do you see it in your thoughts? Maybe invasive thoughts? Do you see it in your like, lack of forgiveness and the resentment? Like, do you see it in sometimes your seething rage that you have for people that are unlike you? Like, where, where has evil gotten into you in ways that we would never, in a company like this, ever want to admit? But we're the problem. We're, we're, we're recipients of the problem, and we're part of the problem. We're in this interconnected web of alienation. Alienated from ourselves, alienated from God, alienated from one another, and it just keeps going on and on and on. So Paul says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Or in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were children of wrath. Or is the great Melville quote that maybe you've heard before, heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly in need of mending. And because of this, like, I really want you to personalize it. Like, here's the thing. The gospel's not good news until you've driven home the fact that you need to be rescued. It's just, it's just another good idea. Until you felt it. Until you know it. That there is this great alienation and things need to be reconciled as, 
This interesting psychologist from the mid-20th century, Paul Tournier, once said, there's always an awareness that human beings have, whether they're believers or unbelievers, that everything must be paid for. I kind of see it with my students too. I, I, you see it too. Like, why do we work so hard? Like, why do, you, why do you let people run all over you sometimes? It's because the idea that these people, that you would disappoint them is, you can't even imagine that because you need to be accepted by other people, some of you, because if you're not accepted by other people, then you have to face your own guilt. It would be unthinkable. Why do you work so hard? We're trying to push something down. Do you realize that? We can stop for a minute and realize that so much of what we do is to assuage or to suppress the reality that everything must be paid for. A a personal guilt and debt. Like, imagine, I love asking people this, imagine if there was a video log of every second of every single day of your life. And we could all click on it any time we wanted to. Or in Sufjan Stevens, one of my favorite songwriters, in my best behavior, he's writing about a serial killer. He said, in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. So why can't God just forgive us? Like if he's just so loving, just say, it's all right. Why is it such a big deal? It's because forgiveness is always costly. Like forgiveness is always costly. It's it's eternally costly. In fact, it's the 33 some odd years that Jesus Christ was on this earth, it was almost like the debt was weighing heavier and heavier and heavier on him. All the breach all of the guilt, all of the evil, heavier and heavier and heavier on Jesus until in the Garden of Gethsemane, the man comes unglued. He falls apart because of the weight of us. The wrath of God. Now, if you thought guilt was an unpopular subject at Vanderbilt, the wrath of God... I might as well be wearing like a white wig, like George Washington, right? Like I couldn't be, that that is the most ridiculous thing ever, but let me tell you something. If God is a loving father, always has been a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit, then his wrath must be love. Listen to what Michael Reeves said, the man I quoted earlier. The wrath of the triune God is exactly the opposite of a character blip or a nasty side of him. It is the proof of the sincerity of his love. That he truly cares. His love is not mild-mannered or limp. It's livid. It's potent. It's committed. And therein lies our hope. Through his wrath, the living God shows that he is truly loving. Through his wrath, he will destroy all devilry that we might enjoy him in a purified world, the home of righteousness. And so there it is. Alienation and wrath, but it's all coming from a father who is perfectly loving his son through the spirit that wanted to die. Love had to die. Love had to sacrifice. 
Because that's what true love does. All real love is substitutionary sacrifice. Go watch a Disney movie. Every single one of them. It's because every good story, at the very heart of the story, and the meta, the epic story, is about true love. It's about someone loving in our place when we couldn't fix the problem. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And you look at yourself and you look at your family and you look at this city and you say amen. And so we come to the second point. Reconciled. So what happened on the cross, I know you've heard it. Some of you have heard it so many times. Sinclair Ferguson once said, I hope I never stop thinking that I just became a Christian. <laughs> you know, like, I hope I never see, when you hear a sermon, you think, I think I just became a Christian. You ever heard a sermon like, I think I just became a Christian again. I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I think I just was converted. He said, I hope I never lose that. I hope you never get tired of hearing how deep the Father's love is for you. Because do you realize that right now they're singing to the Lamb that was slain? Forever and ever, we're never going to get over it. History's never going to get over it. The cosmos is never going to get over it. So why are you over it? To be reconciled. Verse 22, he has now reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Flesh and blood. We are body and we are soul, so body and soul came to us, our shame and our guilt. We are affected even at a subatomic level. It is in us, fully human, head to toe, there he comes. Jesus' physical body through death, through physical death, the man, the first century Jewish man, he put on our being head and eyeballs and kneecaps and liver and spine and cells and eyelashes and made in every single way except for one way, without any sin. He was free from accusation. He was without blemish. And he said, you're in me. You're safe in me. Why? Why? Love. Love. In our place, the payment, a great word, propitiation. I learned all these words down the road at RTS. Propitiation, he absorbed, he took the wrath, he received the wrath. God unloads, unloads hell on his head for us, the Father and the Son. There is this great epic heartbreak right at the center of reality. Because someone has to pay for my lies and my lust and my hatred. And I can't. My gossip, my rage, my rebellion, my laziness, all my isms. He became a curse for us because I'm cursed. You ever, you ever felt cursed? Someone ever cursed you? You feel like cursed and you keep a curse and you hang a curse around your neck? You feel cursed over your entire life and your family. You ever feel cursed? You ever been like that? Have you ever carried that? Some of you carried it for so long. But here's the gospel is, Jesus became cursed for you. No more curse for you. He became cursed for you. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree, the Old Testament says. 
He hanged, he hanged on a tree. And the justice of God falls on him. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless, sa sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And he's satisfied right now. You're not satisfied with yourself? He's satisfied. You're not satisfied with your parenting? He's satisfied. And because you're in Christ, the Father looks at you and says, this is my beloved child who I'm very pleased. Or in the Hawaiian pigeon translation of the Bible, I am filled with much aloha inside for my son. And I stay good. That's what it says. I stay good inside because of him. That's what love does. Love on mission justifies the wicked. That's what it says in Romans 4. The wicked are justified. Like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now we sing that. It's the most famous song in the history of the world. Do you know that John Newton, the man who wrote that song, he is in the Gospel Hall of Fame the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Folk Music Hall of Fame, this whole guy, it's the most famous song ever. People sing it all the time. They sing it at baseball games and at football games and at funerals. Everybody sings this song. Everybody knows this song. Do you realize what we say in that song? <coughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Women wearing beautiful hats. On Easter Sunday, we'll sing, I'm a wretch. You know what a wretch is? A wretch. A wretch is a miserable, dead-end, pitiful human being. But there we are. Let's save the wretch. Do you think you're a wretch? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. And you'll sing it beautifully in the key of C. That saved a wretch like me. I think we, a lot of us, we think we're sort of half-wretch. Do you know what I mean? We're half-wretch. Here's the thing. If you're half-wretch, grace is half-amazing. Like, there are parts of your character and there are parts of your identity and there are parts of things that God's pushing on and he's wanting to say that. He's not doing it to expose you. He wants to pour grace all over you. And our habits and our secrets and all those things that we carry around and those old resentments and those burdens, every single one of those things, he's not doing it to bust your chops. He's doing it because he's pure love and he's got something so good for you. Unlimited mercy and grace for you. Blessings on your head. And the more you admit how wretched you are, the more admit you're honest about who you actually are, the more that you turn and you experience Jesus. And when you experience Jesus, you're right in the heart of the Father. Justified, free from accusation, free from accusation. And I'll tell you something about our culture. We're a culture of accusation. Accusation and condemnation and judgment. Constant accusation. We use words no longer to build up. We use words to accuse. But listen to this. You are free from accusation in his sight. Free without blemish in his sight. And wait a second. I'm full of blemishes. But not in Jesus. I tell students, 
That just seems too good to be true. And I was like, because it is, man. It's too good to not be true, as one theologian said. This is what it's like to encounter real, unfiltered, fatherly love in a way that your fathers could never love you. Paul says that he was crucified on this tree for us, that his body was broken for us. It was the tree of all trees. It all started with the tree. You know the Bible is kind of a book about trees. Think about how many trees are in the Bible. It all started with the tree of life, right? The tree of good and evil. And all these trees, and the one you're not supposed to eat of, and then this other tree. And then Revelation, there's a tree whose leaves are so powerful that the leaves themselves, that have they, they heal the nations. A leaf can heal the nations. There's going to be a leaf. There are leaves on the trees and the leaf, not the fruit. They're going to be so powerful out of God's love in the new city that they're going to heal the nations because of love. Every religion has a version of this tree, by the way. It's called the Axis Mundi. Anthropologists have found this over and over again. It's a tree that connects heaven and earth. That's what the cross did. There was actually one in history. The final tree, the great surprise, is that God himself was going to die for us. Full circle. How deep the Father's love is for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. See, if you're walking around and you only see yourself as a wretch and not as a treasure, you're not seeing yourself rightly. Yeah, you're wretched in yourself, but God's made you his treasure. And here's the thing. You don't get the last word on you. You don't get the last word on you. The creator of the universe gets the last word on us. He says, treasure. I've been a wretch in my life. But I say treasure. Why? Because the, my love has made you treasure. That's what he does. That's what love does. God reconciles us to himself. I've been reading a, the works of a guy named Kurt Thompson. Some of y'all maybe have seen his stuff. He's a psychiatrist who talks about really the neuroscience of spiritual formation and how we are shaped and how human beings are shaped in development you know, as our brains are shaped, and it's fascinating stuff. There's a book called Anatomy of the Soul. In one of his books, he talks about this reality of rupture. Rupture in relationships. And rupture in families. And he says that there's always rupture in relationships. That's just a reality. Rupture is what relationships look like this side of the fall. We're always hurting each other. We're hurting God. We're hurting ourselves. There's constant. He said, but the goal here is, and to understand this, it's not about the rupture. It's about the repair of the rupture that enables our family, our children, our people around us to have be resilient. Repairing the rupture leads to resiliency. Do you realize that that's what God has done to the world? A great rupture that's occurred. Yeah, we're ruptured. 
within ourselves. We're seeing many ruptures. You look at our city, look at our world. There's so many ruptures. We're even there's even we even see rupture even physically from the from from coronavirus. But here's what God is doing, and this is what you can't miss. And this is something that's going to be true whether you believe it or not. Is that the repair has begun and the repair will be completed. And so mission, mission is to be agents of repair in a world of rupture. Like expect rupture. Expect rupture in the church. We are to be, we're to move toward repair. Right. Why? We've been reconciled. Not because we deserve it. Love repairs. And so what we're doing in Tokyo, what we're doing in Jackson, what we're doing in Nashville, and what we're doing in New York or Los Angeles, what we're doing in Iraq, what we're doing all over the world, is we are agents of repair. We love things back to life. Why? We've been loved back to life. Y'all, I don't know what your day's been like today. I don't know what your year's been like. I don't know what your decade's been like. Love gets the last word. Love gets, love gets the last word because he's a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit and he's done the most loving act in Jesus Christ. And you don't get the last word on you. Love does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege to be back here at this church from a, from a city, from a seminary, just thinking about how I've been so well loved by even people in this room. And so I just thank you so much just for what you're doing. Lord, help us just get in the river. Repent of our pride and even how we make an idol of our own brokenness. Lord, let us own how broken and wretched we are so that grace become amazing. We are your children. Bless this missions conference in Jesus' name. Amen.